Whether you're an independent artist looking to take their career to the next level, or you're a fan that just loves to discover new artists and new original music, making a scene has exactly what you're looking for. For the indie artist, we have articles on music business, gear reviews, recording techniques, and interviews with industry professionals. For the fan, we introduce you to new artists every day with our in-depth artist interviews and insightful CD reviews. Nobody gives you more. Making a Scene truly is the number one resource for the indie artists and the fans that love them. Go to makingascene.org and become part of the indie revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Mike Schaefer. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Virgin Mary, Mother of God, you've got to help me, something is wrong. Virgin Mary, Mother of God, you got to help me, or I'm throwing you off. I got you, Mary, in my right hand. Canyon Cliff is where I stand. Down go the Virgin, and she won't lend a hand. Come on, Virgin Mary. Please understand You gotta help me I'm in a bad way You gotta help me Oh, I'm gonna pray
from his brand new release and we got Mick on the line right now. Hey Mick, how you doing? Mr. Hamadou, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. 
Now, um, this is the first time you've been on, and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that is by your journey, where you came from, how you got to where you are today. So give us the story of Mick Schaefer. Well, uh, Rich, the, the, the story really is, is based on that first time that I was, uh, I was singing something, and that experience happened to me that, you know, always happens if I'm, if I'm really taken by, by a song. And so that was back in the, that was back in the seventh grade choir at Our Lady of the Valley School. <laughs> and, uh, and, every, and so it was just a matter of time before that, that right there found its way and developed, uh, you know, to where I could express myself with my voice. I, I, I played football in, in uh, junior high school in high school, and I used to I used to vocalize when I was running with the ball. I mean, I, I always had to be always had to be vocalizing. So um, I had a chance to go to Europe uh, after I dropped out of school, and I went over there and played for about a year, just you know, knocking around and playing for chips, and, and did a couple of little gigs, uh, but mostly just playing for for food and for chips. And uh, and so I got it in my blood to perform, and you know I got so I had some people you know to watch me, and so I, I've got some confidence about that too. But then uh, by the time I got back to the United States, I was really really uh, um, unable to do really anything uh, productive because I really needed to start figuring out who I was, and and so there was a period of time where I, I just needed to like do that uh, d- that dive in, in, internally. And unco- you know, get all the stupid, crazy stuff in my head that was being uh, said to me, and let go of it, so I could start just being a, a, a breathing, writing music, producing music type of a professional person. That didn't really happen until after um, my son grew up and uh, took off. And then I just jumped in with both Pete and Portland. I started meeting all the musicians there. I started really, uh, you know, working on my. I've been working on my guitar skills and my singing kind of quietly all the time. But that was when I could really come out and jump into the pool with all the other musicians. Portland is an incredible town with very generous and very talented musicians, and especially blues musicians. So uh, that was, you know, right around uh, right, right around two thousand, a little after two thousand is when that process started, and then it just developed and developed and developed until I was sitting in a room in in uh, twenty seventeen with you know some of the you know best blues people around the Pacific Northwest at least. And uh, and and uh, they were playing songs that I had written or had co-written with a friend, and we were getting them down and uh, put you know getting ready to put them out uh, to uh, and hand them over to uh, <laughs> you know to Frank Rosa. Okay. And, uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about the new release. Um, okay. You know, uh, every artist when they put together a um, a new release, they always have something in their head that that is a goal or even a statement that they want to make what was your goal or statement for this particular release this this release was a chance for me to 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 find that level of honesty that allows the music to have the most power it just it was a chance for me to look back at, at work that i'd done previously and work that i just currently just written and find the best of that material to put out with the best musicians I'd ever played with and have it have just that I, where I would never 
never hesitate to look at any part and double check it for, for the complete straight ahead honesty. And uh, that, that, was, that was in my heart to do that. Back to the Blues was me kind of back to myself, back to who I really am. And, uh, and the greatest songs that kind of touched on those spots as I was coming through learning more about myself and, and what the, the key things were and what the excitements were, what the big crazy things were, what the passion things were, you know, what the unbelievable epiphany moments of, oh my God, I, was that how I was? And all of that, it was just turned into music. And I think, and I think the, uh, my feeling was is I can finally just put down, put down on a record what really happened and celebrate it with the pedal to the metal. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, the process of songwriting because let's face it, and without good songs, you know, there's no reason to go into the studio and record anything. Um, right. So, when you sit down to begin that process to write, um, what is your mechanism that allows you to tap into the muse? To, to be perfectly honest, I'm a little better probably if I'm walking. <laughs> you know, I'm, okay. Uh, that that's a lot of times that well, the stuff that the ideas will just suddenly be there. I'll get a flurry of ideas on a walk, and I have to just stop and put something into the phone or or whatever I can do to hang on to the idea and just you know keep all the notes and everything. But usually the the, the way the song starts typically comes from some kind of an event, some event that happened that had a lot of of. Of, de- of power and some kind of really strong emotion happened there in that moment. It's alive, you know. Some moment is completely alive. Now, once once that I once I'm sitting with that moment that's completely alive, or I'm walking with it, or if I am sitting with it, at some point that the, just the force of that place starts to create something. It usually it's a for me it starts out usually it's some kind of a a, a chorus phrase. Like the chorus phrase is like the heart. Of, of the thing I'm trying to I'm trying to be able to convey to myself and to anybody else that's interested in listening, and so once I can once once that once that happens, then that phrase I keep turning that phrase and that will the phrase itself based on what the phrase is a lot of times will will start to indicate melody. It'll indicate pace. It'll indicate you know um, a beat, and then if I'll just find that combination the chorus melody beat the feeling of the chorus, where the where that chorus came from, then I'm home free then. As soon as I get that together and I can repeat that, that makes it just like home free because all the all the lyric lines just come rolling in like try this, how about this, how about this? And then uh, you know, finally the ones that really say something are the ones that stick. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about melody. You know, to me, you know, lyrics are a very structured thing. They they have continuity, there's a story, there's rhyme, there's meter. There's a lot of structured elements to um, defining, you know, a lyric. But melody is a little different. It's a different side of the brain. Some songwriters like to work off of a, a groove. Others like to work off a, a chord structure. What is kind of your go-to when you when you hunt down your melodies? It, it, it's the it's the chord. It's usually a chord combination. There, there's a, a key and a chord combination that feels good, and then once and once that chord combination is is landing again, like in that in that uh, in that chorus area, well, once that inspiration comes, once that's happening, then where the lyric where where the melody is going to go from there. Can take you know it it can be it can be there in like 
in like 30 seconds where I just see it all at once, or sometimes it can take literally years before I get to the finally get to the end of it where I go, okay, that's not, you know, that sounds right. Okay. Now, um, songwriters today have really embraced technology, uh, whether it's their cell phone or they have a home recording studio. Uh, what are some of the tools that you use when you sit down to write? Well, the, 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 what's lately, um, you know, this last couple of years when we've been sheltered a lot, um, I got set up in a studio, a room, and I call it the studio, and, and put together, you know, just put together uh, the equipment around me that inspires me when, when I'm playing by myself. I've got a, a Blues Junior amplifier that makes a, makes a lovely sound with the guitar and um and uh and i'll and sometimes you know I'll, I'll get the metronome going sometimes but really just sitting with the guitar has been just a natural thing for a long time because the guitar can do so many different little things that'll inspire me and surprise me and uh and i'll, I'll that i think technically i think that i think the the electric guitar plugged into a blues junior is the best strategy anybody can use to write anything okay now uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, that moment where you have to, you know, declare the song finished in the writing phase, so you can move it to that next phase, which is production. Uh, what do you do to determine that moment in a song's life? What, what I what I did in Portland for a while, uh, and what continues to uh, work, is to is to uh, is to gig with the unfinished songs. Uh, with other musicians at least jam with them but even gigging is even better for some reason and and the songs aren't completely finished but the but the idea of the song is strong enough the chords are there um and so then these other musicians that are so good they will start to make suggestions uh auto, you know automatically just if, if we're jamming i'll hear some things if we what, the, the song that i'm thinking of there's this one song that i did for a few years that i loved and then I hired this one couple, this piano player and this bass player, and they played that song that night. They know me. They know that I that I'm loose on the songs when I'm you know when I'm playing like that. And so she just came up with a completely new rhythm in the song, a new a new thing she did with the piano. And that once that was there, that song was finished. You know, and and so a lot of times that's really me playing with other people and their incredible generosity. When we were in the in the studio this last time, J.P. Thomas is a, a, a guitar player that I play with every chance I can get. I adore him, and he he he'll throw things out, and and like we'll start to go in a certain direction. I'm not sure what I want to do with. He said, "Well, what about this?" Unbelievable, generous and generosity. And and uh, there's uh, in the song "If I Win Blues" on this last record, he came up with with something with the guitar in that, a rhythm, a rhythmic change on that, that took that song to being, you know, a strong song for me to the best I'd ever heard. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about going into the studio. Um, you know, having a song gives you something to say, but going in the studio creates the identity not only of the song, but of the artist that's, you know, creating it. You have to have your a unique identifying sound. Um, what do you do? What is your process when you get into that environment of the studio that allows you to capture your sound? Well, the, the intention of this last song is to focus, really go deep focus in the blues. So if you're going to do a deep focus in the blues, it's good to go to a deep focus in the blues studio, which is Falcon, 
in Portland. Falcon has been, they've, they've been doing the big blues artists there for a long time. Curtis Salgado, Terry Robb, you know, they are, they're all the big boys in the Northwest work in there. So first, that was the first thing is to get, is to get uh, Dennis Carter, who, run, who owns and runs that studio, to get Dennis uh, on board and, uh, and a bass player that, that works really well with him, a blues bass player, uh, to get him on board. And once Dennis and Timmer will, and me were knowing that we were going to go inside Falcon with these uh, attempts at good blues songs, that was the environment that I knew had ghosts, it had spirits, you know, in the walls that were going to come and help us. Okay. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about um, getting it out there. Um, you know, uh, once you get it recorded, you have to create a team in order to get it out and to create a buzz. And you're working with Frank Rozak uh, from Frank yeah, Rozak yeah. Promotions. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that relationship. Well, I, I was uh, sitting in a booth with Jimmy Bott, who's a you know famous blues drummer here in the country, and uh, in Portland one night. I said, I heard this about this guy Frank Rozak, and Cameron uh, uh, was telling me about him. And, and what do you think? You know, have you ever used him? And he goes, Hell yeah, I have. And he turns his tele his cell phone around to me, pages through to one when his voicemail. And not his voicemail, but his his, uh, his email. And he says, see, "See, look at all this." And what he's what he's showing me is he's showing me maybe I don't know. It might have been hundreds of emails from Frank Rosick, letting him know every time his song got played somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, "Wow, that's I've never even imagined anything like that." So you know, Frank Frank, you know, he's been doing what he's been doing for a long time. He knows a lot of people, and 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 everybody seems to like him even though he's grumpy so uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway he's, he's, he's doing a great i've never been charted before and now i'm on it i've been i just got charted last week for the first time so that without frank rosick that hadn't happened to me before yeah well frank is good at what he does so tell me a little bit about the lineup on this who's playing okay in this on this record um i got i gotta say jimmy first i guess that's just like because everybody know everybody that knows blues in this country knows jimmy bot he's, he's unbelievable um working closely with him is that bass player i was telling you i always like the bass players and drummers to love each other well uh jimmy bot and jimmer blakely man they're having romance when they play when they get on the stage together those guys are so good and they love playing together with each other so much Somebody who um, who travels the big stages and plays with you know with the with, you know, with the with Shamika Copeland um, is uh, Willie Scanlon Ken Willie Scanlon he plays a lot of slide guitar he goes back man he used to hang around with uh, you know with um, uh, with the slide guitar Ry Cooter back in the back in the day and you know he's really got a sweet sweet slide guitar which he puts together with on Shamika Copeland's band with another lead guitar player the two of them play with around Shamika's singing and i love that combination so so willie's playing the slide guitar and then the other fellow i mentioned earlier jt thomas he plays the electric guitar and those two guys you know their two voices are just remarkable together both so that's two guitars two electric guitars then there's uh, my friend uh tom esh who plays the fiddle i mean he's got a lot a lot of of um background g genetics in his blood his mom was playing the uh the cello and I think the Boston Philharmonic or something like that. And his dad, you know, was was a good fiddle player, you know, uh, also. And so he just, from a very young age, was put a, a violin was put into his hands, you know, as soon as he could you know, hold it and, and make the thing go back and forth. So 
um, he, he, he's he's put a, he's got a lot of lot of feeling, brings a lot of feeling into this record with with his fiddle. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about the industry. Um, I mean, the elephant in the room here is the consumer that no longer looks at recorded music as a product that they purchase, but it's now a service that's available free on their phone. And this right. shift in perception has really affected the independent artists, I think, more than most of the industry because they depend on that revenue stream from selling CDs from the stage and so on and so forth. Right. And people don't buy CDs anymore. I mean, let's face it, you can't even get a CD player in a car. Right, um, right. You know, they, they don't even come in on new computers anymore. You know, there's no CD players on them. You know, how has this shift in perception of the consumer affected you as an independent artist? Well, certainly not selling too many CDs, but I, I, one thing that we did do is uh, we, we did start uh, making vinyls. So I, ha- I have actually started to sell vinyl, which seems to be outselling CDs right now. Okay. All right. Uh, well, you know, I, I think... You know, I don't think vinyl is going to save uh, the independent artist. It's a great merch item. It's a great item to, you know, to sign and to to play. But, you know, let's face it. You know, if someone buys the vinyl, they're not running home and throwing it on the turntable. They're going to bring you up on Spotify and they're going to play, you know, they're going to play it off Spotify and put the album on the shelf and, and maybe frame it. And that's, you know, it's a collector's item. No, you know? I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not kidding myself, Richard. I know what you're saying is true, and I, I know I've got a. Well, first of all, the the media thing. I did meet a few people that expressed how important the media part of it was uh, to 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 get that to get that up as your conversation. But I think I think that the idea of how things are going to go into the future, I'm I'm wide open to learn because uh, I I know we're I know we're on new ground right now. Well, yeah, we're definitely heading for some new ground. Uh, one of the things that I did notice that that has been a, a an evolving trend over the last two years since the shutdown of touring with COVID-19 is that a lot of independent artists have really gotten deep into this world of content creation and social media connection to their fans. Um, you know, uh, even the, the, yeah. the larger scale artists are, are really taking advantage of this fan artist connection that can be made through social media. I mean, you've got, you know, Tim McGraw who goes up on TikTok and finds people who are, you know, covering his songs. And, you know, he comments on, you know, hey, I love your voice. I love the arrangement. You know, you guys are great. Yada, yada. You have, you know, David Grohl. You know who's yeah. doing drum yeah. battles with an eleven-year-old girl drummer on TikTok, and yeah. you know, and brings her up on stage <laughs> at a Foo Fighter concert and and plays with her. You know that yeah. girl's going to chase that that feeling for the rest of her life. You know she's ruined. You know from that point yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, um, And and you know then you have you know Taylor Swift. You know who's you know goes out and trolls the internet for her super fans, and picks people out to invite to her house. To preview new releases. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so you know, all of this goes to this this whole concept of of branding, not only as an artist, as a musician, but also as a person. Almost a reality show type branding, where yeah, the yeah. product is no longer the music, the product is the brand, because. 
that brand represents value and people will invest in a brand you know what i mean well i i i think brand brand is a is a marketing is a is a marketing term for it and i i know that's true and uh i know what you're saying is true but the way that my mind um uh, translates that is is the idea that of what's in the brand what ha- what has the force and the power inside that thing of brand is connection someone has to feel an act a real connection right and, and for a real connection to happen there needs to be two human beings that are standing on equal ground really and i mean one person can be admiring the other person but both of those people have to be standing on equal ground and connecting with each other in a real human way that is to me what you're talking about and i thank god if that's the way the, the industry is going because you know that's that's that helps all of us more i mean we're all we're all going to be better off for that if that's if that's really where this is going and that really seems to be it and people want to really see and feel and and be connected to each other and as two human beings not as like looking at somebody way three miles up on the stage right well well that's really what what this whole world of content creation is is creating and i think that it's going to continue as we move forward because i mean let's face it live music was having issues before covid before covid hit yeah, yeah. you know I, I know you've had these gigs where you go in and you know you you set up there's 10 people in there and eight of them are blood relatives and they're all watching the television you know what i mean <laughs> well that doesn't that doesn't happen too often with us usually the people are coming for the music usually but i've been there where you're talking about that yeah. for sure so what we need to do is we need to cultivate a new fan base that wants to experience that music in the moment you know there is a yeah. huge amount of potential fans out there that really don't have that frame of reference of going to see music in the moment. You know, they go to the large stadium shows, they see music being created that sounds exactly like the record, exactly like the recording, let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the excitement is generated from, you know, pyrotechnics, costume changes, choreography, you know, lighting, all of that. It's not in the performance, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's not like it changed from what it's supposed to sound like on the recording. Where if you go to an intimate venue and you see a band of musicians that are creating music in that moment, that's a different experience. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's that's a very good point. And I'm, thr- I'm thrilled that this is being talked about at, you know, at this level where a lot of people are talking back and forth and exchanging about it. I, I think if this is where it's going, Richard, we're, we're heading in a better direction. Well, that's what I think we, we, we as independent artists need to move it in that direction by utilizing social media, by utilizing uh, the Internet. It is our broadcast network. It's free. It's, it's available. We can reach a huge amount of people. Uh, and by by creating that brand, by creating that uh, reality show mentality and reaching these people who really never had that frame of reference before, when they pass that marquee on that club and that name is on the, on, the, on that marquee, that's going to spark that thing in their head and they're going to say, oh, I know that guy. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I know him on TikTok or I, I, yeah. I've seen him on, on Instagram or, you know, yeah. I'm Facebook yeah. friends. Yeah. If that will, will move them to go in, pay the door and sit down and experience that and, and yeah. create a new fan base for live music in intimate settings, that's a win-win. That's absolutely. People are establishing a real relationship in a situation like that. Right. And and that's what's going to move people to experience this, is having that relationship with the artist, with the brand of that artist. You know, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't go up there and beat people over the head with listen to my music, buy my music, listen to my music, stream my music. You have to kind of give them who you are you know let them invest into yeah, you yeah. as a person yeah. uh you know i know people you know like uh, mindy abar does a cooking thing with her husband and you know they they drink a bottle of wine and whatever ends up being cooked is cooked you know by their sloshed at the end <laughs> yeah. you yeah, know yeah. uh i know yeah. uh you know uh, another couple who are americana artists that you know, they like to hike into the mountains. So what they do is they put up pictures and, and videos of them hiking and things they see. And they maybe, you know, uh, they'll say, hey, you know, we came up with this riff, you know, while we were looking at this scene. And, you know, and those are things that that yeah. people, you know, they want to know. They want to see the process. You know, they want to see where did this inspiration came from. That's why yeah, you have, yeah. you know, you know, shows like Songland and, and you know, The Voice. And you know, they, they want to see that evolutionary process of an artist. And I think, it, the, you know, it's, that... It, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we just, this last, uh, oh, this, that early last summer, I was in a, I was in a, I just jumped into a workshop. I, you know, had, had time. And uh, in the workshop, there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, artists and musicians and people inside there. And we were all showing each other, each other's stuff. And so there was a chance for me to, like, start a brand new song and show them the beginning of the idea and where the beginning of the idea came from. And it was fun. You know, people were able to ride right through right through the whole uh, writing of that one song. It's now starting to chart, you know. So so, so the, I, I know what you're talking about. If people want to feel connected, it's more fun. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. Uh, you guys are going to love this, man. You know, turn it up loud. Open the windows. Fuck the neighbors. We're going to have a good time. Hey, Richard, I appreciate it, man. No problem.
does it matter His empty
Says I cannot come in Private property sign Says I cannot come in
Whether you're an independent artist looking to take their career to the next level, or you're a fan that just loves to discover new artists and new original music, making a scene has exactly what you're looking for. For the indie artist, we have articles on music business, gear reviews, recording techniques, and interviews with industry professionals. For the fan, we introduce you to new artists every day with our in-depth artist interviews and insightful CD reviews. Nobody gives you more. Making a Scene truly is the number one resource for the indie artists and the fans that love them. Go to makingascene.org and become part of the indie revolution. Shout now, honey.